Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beer and Brands. I'm yes. Matt Williams, Managing Partner at Brand Federation, here as always with our founder and CEO, Kelly O'Keefe. Hello, everyone. Kelly. It is a beautiful day here in Richmond, and we're here at the lovely Mainline Brewery. The place is amazing. And the windows are open, the doors are open, so we're, we're, we're communing with nature. If you hear any kind of sounds, that's just the sound of a beautiful day in Richmond. So bear with us if, 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 you, hear some, if you hear some noises in the background. But we are here at Mainline Brewery um, in Richmond, and we've got Gary McDowell, the owner of Mainline, here with us. Gary, come on in. Thank you so much for having us. Sure. This place is awesome. Welcome. What are we drinking? So we've got three different sources here. This is our Razzle Dazzle, which is a raspberry That's hard seltzer. That's perfect for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then these are our two seasonal beers. This is a Fest beer, which is a pale lager. That sounds And this right is for uh, Oktoberfest, which is a traditional German Marzen. And this one has a little more body. That one's really fresh and easy to drink. That sounds Terrific. good. Wow. Well, you know, cheers. Well. Cheers. Enjoy. Gary, thank you. Sure, and thank uh, you, we Gary. will be back to talk more with Gary about Mainline. And we can talk about. And there's the train. There's the train. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back with Gary in a minute. All right, Kelly. I know everybody saw the third beer and was like, wait, what's going on with that third beer? Well, what's going on with the third beer is we have a special guest here on Beer and Brands, and her name is Laura Bowser. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. She is the managing director of the human capital practice at Fahrenheit Advisors. So before we dive in, Laura, tell us a little bit about what you do at Fahrenheit. Yeah, so Fahrenheit Advisors is a um, national middle market management consulting practice. Um, and we have really five key advisory groups. So we have our FNA, which is finance and accounting group. They do CFO, fractional interim, um, financial management work. Mm -hmm. um, we have our advisory team, which is more traditional um, management consulting, think Lean Six Sigma, um, automation, um, even some fractional CEO work. We have our sales advisory team, which does uh, pitch books, anything that's really revenue generating, mm -hmm. um, some, some even a little bit of marketing. Um, and then we also have our executive search and recruitment division. And then last but not least, we have our human capital practice, which uh, I manage. Um, and we're a team of about 40 consultants now. We've had, seen a lot of growth. And we do fractional interim um, human capital HR work. And we also do some project work like compensation analysis, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, and really everything and anything that touches the employee and culture experience. That's awesome. Cool. One, of, one of the things that we talk a lot about mm -hmm. on Beer and Brands is the, the intersection between human capital and brands. And uh, we think it's an overlap that is too often overlooked yeah. by, by managers because your brand is only as strong as the people who deliver it and the people who have to understand it and have Absolutely. to kind of take it in. So that's what we want to talk about. Great. Um, I'll kick it off with a, with a kind of a high-level question. There's lots of talk about the great resignation and productivity dropping and, okay. and things like that. What's, what's going on that you see in corporate America that might be driving that? And what effect do you think it has on companies and brands and customers? Well, that's a loaded question. There's a lot going on. I don't think there's a single cause. You can't just say like it's COVID mm -hmm. or um, it's generational or it's recession driven. I think one of the things to remember is that there's a labor shortage right now. And so typically when people had to, um, they were at the mercy of their employer previously. Now the employee has a little bit more power because they can just jump, they can just leave. Yeah. And so if companies aren't taking the culture really, really seriously, taking their brand seriously and living into their values 
and being authentic about that, um, people are just going to walk and they don't have to work there anymore. Um, and so what we're seeing is backlash. Um, we're seeing people that demand flexibility. We're seeing people who want remote, hybrid, they want on site and they're making those demands. They want more comp um, because they know they can just jump. Um, and then you also have some generational factors in play. Younger employees typically have a little less loyalty just because they're A, newer to the, to, to the game. Mm -hmm. and, um, and they're seeing these dynamics and they're saying, hey, I'm worth more than this. I don't have to stand for this. Um, and likewise, you're seeing some of the older generation retire faster because there are so many moving parts and they're going, yeah, you know, too much is changing. I don't like this change and I already have, you know, my nest egg, so I'm out. So is corporate America, in your eyes, responding to this? I mean, it seems like the warning signs are on high. The alert levels are at red, right? right. I'm losing employees that I have because they can get better pay or better working conditions elsewhere. I can't easily hire to replace them because there's so much of a labor shortage. Those that are still with me are either quiet quitting right. or they're so disengaged that they're phoning it in. Their productivity levels are dropping, engagement levels are dropping. It seems almost like a full-scale work crisis. Mm -hmm. To what extent is corporate America paying attention to that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, what I'm seeing right now is a lot of the Fortune 100 companies, Fortune 1000 companies even, are throwing money at it, um, which isn't necessarily an answer, but they are hiring consultants. They are um, offering more benefits. They're paying more, even breaking their own comp structures to see where they can figure it out. So it looks a little bit less like they have a crisis, even though it's still on fire of the larger corporations. Where I really see it hurting people is that middle market, where they're too large to respond like an entrepreneur, but too big to throw money at it. <laughs> and so they're trying to balance like, okay, how do I get the talent I need, but I can't pay them as much as say a Fortune 100 company could. So they're having to do things like, um, you know, what kind of benefits can I offer that I wasn't offering before? What kind of perks can I give them to get them to stay? And really having to check in constantly, not just the employee engagement surveys, but like, on a monthly basis. How are you feeling? What can I do to improve? How do I make this better? And that's exhausting when you think about it. Yeah. But it is kind of the, the atmosphere we're in right now. So we have two choices. <clears throat> you can either throw money at it. Right. Or you can actually genuinely work to create working conditions that your employees would like. Correct. And more people are choosing to throw money. No, I yeah. couldn't do that. <laughs> God forbid we actually make work work for people. I know. We, yeah. we, we can't be nice. We can't be accommodating to people's lifestyles and their families. We'll just give them more money and hope it works. Well, that's based on the fallacy that's been proven over and over again over years is that throwing money at people is the best way to make them happy in their jobs. And we know that that's not true. Right. Right. And there's definitely right now also a thing happening with like the remote hybrid on-site um, debate and what I'm seeing companies unfortunately do is they don't implement their policies fairly or equitably so they're saying oh well Bob can work hybrid because he's a hard worker but Sally can't and then you break the trust really quickly um, and a lot of these companies don't even have policies so there's there's a lot of nuance to it that we don't think about and then it has repercussions when we're thinking about culture and then even brand when you're trying to recruit the talent that you need. It's interesting because Brand Federation was built even before COVID to be an entirely remote operation, allowing people to live where they wanted to live and, and work the way they wanted to work. That doesn't work for everyone. We acknowledge, right. you know, it works 
It works for our model exceptionally well. It doesn't work for everyone. Are people starting to figure it out, or is it still the great unknown? I think it's a little bit still unknown, um, because what's really interesting is what we can see from some of the survey data around um, employee engagement is that typically in history, uh, the remote workers always had a more engaged experience, um, but that was very that was before COVID when it was planned. And now right. what we're seeing is a lot of the engagement um, drop, the decrease in engagement is actually with the remote employees. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that they still aren't having a better experience than the on-site. It's just that the lack of companies knowing how to keep them engaged, keep communications going to them effectively, pull them in, um, and fairly implement their policies, procedures, and all of that, and even give them the equipment they need in some um, instances, is becoming a huge barrier. We've, we, we've pivoted almost a little too quickly, and now people are getting burnt out by it. Mm -hmm. So there's some operational challenges that go along with the kind of crisis that we're having in the workforce right. that managers need to respond to correctly, and too many of them aren't. Yes. On the outside, and the external perspective, if we think about the role of brand, which is what we spend our days thinking about, as a way to address the HR crisis. How can brand help companies address a crisis with their workforce? I think brand is probably center and key to any recruitment efforts that companies have. Um, at the end of the day, we're in a crisis labor shortage, and everyone wants recruitment support. Everyone needs help. And, you know, Offering more and more money isn't sustainable, nor does it make economic sense for companies. And so if you have a really strong brand, then your people begin to sell your company for you, um, and they become your recruiters. Mm -hmm. And that's what people need to think about when, when they're doing their value, mission, vision, value alignment. Are you living into these brand um, you know, value statements? Are you actually walking the walk? And I think a lot of companies put a lot of money into this, and then it lives over here. And then they have how they're actually operating. And they really need to think through um, integrating those two worlds. They, they aren't siloed. We've seen data on this, that, that the best brands in category, the most attractive brands in category, do a better job recruiting the best and brightest, which isn't maybe surprising. Right. More people would rather work at Apple, if given a choice, than work at Dell. Sorry, Michael. It's just not that great of a brand. But <laughs> we can um, fix that. We, call us. <laughs> but the, the thing is that being a great brand also depends on building a great culture. Those two things right. aren't coincidental. They go hand in hand. And from our perspective, because we believe brands are just as much built by your behavior as by your words, it's vital to make sure that you stand for something in the eyes of your employees, that you attract those employees who are attracted to those values, right. and that you're really telling this story through a good workforce branding effort. Yeah, and it can not just attract new people into the company because they like what you stand for, what they see outside in the advertising and the marketing and things like that, but it can keep people engaged and keep them in the company and more productive because they know they're working for something they care about. That's right. right. Yeah. Right. That being authentic goes a really long way. <laughs> it seems so simple. Like <clears throat> you want to actually stand for something and then you want to demonstrate that that's truthful through your actions, your behaviors, your policies toward people. You want to make sure you're taking their lives and their needs into account and show them that they're valued so that if you do all of those things, they're more engaged and they'll stay with you.
Yeah. And you don't have to throw bundles of cash at them. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about this when we wrote our article recently right. about how, you know. Check out the article. Check out the article. That's well, right. See that Link shameless below. plug? <laughs> um, but, you know, people would rather you as an employer be honest and say, like, look, I know I'm not Apple. I know I'm not cool. And this is some of the areas that I really need to improve. And then invite that person to help be a part of the solution than to pretend that you are super cool, that you have you know, all this money that you're, you know, just live in this certain way. And then behind the scenes, none of that's real. And that breaks down trust and just destroys the culture. And then so you have this brand misalignment with the culture. And then, then the brand begins to suffer because no one wants to work there. Yeah, it's a really interesting opportunity that I think too few marketers and HR professionals take advantage of, which is working together mm -hmm. to define and activate a really powerful brand. It should be a partnership between those functions right. rather than having them off in separate silos, never talking yeah. to each other. We never talk in most never corporations. Well, it's yeah. incredible. We need yeah, to talk need more. To talk. <laughs> <clears throat> so really, we have gone from a time when the way that I got growth, the way that I made my company successful was to be better at marketing than the other guys and therefore drawing more customers to a time when the way that I make my company more successful is to be more appealing to employees and draw the right people. It doesn't take being Apple to do that. Right. A small, a mid-sized company, a B2B, any kind of company can make an authentic case to why you should want to work with them and then actually allow you to do your best work. Yeah. So if you're an HR professional out there, Go talk to your marketing folks and make sure that you have a clear understanding of the brand promise they're making and are delivering on that promise in your day-to-day -day operations with your employees and with your recruiting. Right. If you're a marketing person, go talk to your HR person. Go make sure that they are a partner in defining that brand and activating it so that you're working together rather than going on these parallel siloed paths. Absolutely. It just makes sense. Just common sense. It's just common sense. That's why we have Laura here, to bring some common sense into beer and brands. So Laura, thank you so much. Thank you. We look forward to working together to helping companies put their HR strategies and their brand strategies together. I'll drink Cheers. to that. Cheers. All right, Kelly, let's do our usual installment of winners and losers, but we have a rule that we have to follow, which is that we are not allowed to talk about Elon Musk because right. it would take up every winners and losers segment. Yeah, we and it would just be boring for all of we'd our We need all of our there. time. It's yeah. just kind of an auto repeat. Just. Uh, yeah, it's like a, it's a separate podcast. It's, That's a, right. it's a whole separate broadcast. <laughs> Watch right. later for the all about Elon <laughs> podcast, but today we don't talk about but Elon. What kind of crazy We don't thing talk about Bruno and we don't talk about Elon. What we are going to talk about <laughs> is Lyft. Lyft is already a good brand. They do right by their employees. They do right by the communities they serve. They seem to have really figured out that they can be the good guys in a two-player field. And what they've done now, I think, is really putting them on the good guys list for us, which is they're going to offer free rides across the country to people who can't otherwise get to the polls. Doesn't matter what side you vote for or where you live. They just want to make sure that people can engage in American democracy by making sure that they have a chance to get to the polls and to vote. That's and really I just cool. love that. Yeah, that's really cool. It's an interesting case, and they, they continue to do this. They do this a lot, which is to say, how can we activate our core competency as a brand and as a company in a way that can be a net positive to the world and to our customers? It, and it's, it, a, it's a question too few marketers ask, actually. I know, yeah. Sometimes people think that the best route to showing that they care about the world around them is to write a check. And in fact, you can use that core competency 
you can lean into what you already do and say, how can what we do be beneficial yep. to the world around us? Lyft pays its drivers to do this, so it's costing them money, but it's, it's a perfect way of expressing the brand. We're here to get people where they need to be, and where they need to be on election day is voting. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting with Lyft is that it benefits from its foil, its competitive foil with Uber, right? Because so as good as Lyft can be, it's always evaluated in the context of Uber, who has a history of being on the loser list. Not a pretty history yeah, exactly. on the loser list yeah. um, and, and probably needs to do a better job. Yep, very good. So let's talk about losers. Yeah. Um, I, to me, this is an easy one, and it's got to be Adidas. <laughs> and, and it was interesting. I was, I was doing a little research on, on how Adidas approached the whole Kanye West, yay, problem. And I saw an opinion by a guy whose opinions I think are always interesting. Uh, is Scott Galloway, yeah, he's always who came out and said, you know, no, I think they handled it exactly right. I don't agree with that. I think Adidas completely fumbled here. And, and that is that there are some things that an employee or a spokesperson associated with your brand does that require an immediate reaction and an immediate distancing. And I can't think of many that are as obviously in that category as some of the anti-Semitic remarks that Kanye kept making. And it took Adidas two weeks to back away from Kanye. Yeah. And, and every day that passed within that two weeks said to people who were watching Adidas that Adidas is thinking, well, we're not sure. How bad was this? I'm not sure what we should do. No, be sure the minute that happens, get the lawyers on the phone, do the responsible thing for your business, but do it immediately. Do it right now. That just makes so much sense because when you drag your feet for a couple of weeks, what the public sees is that you have literally been dragged kicking and screaming into this decision. It's a, it's a, a calculus, a corporate calculus, rather than an expression of belief. Yeah, and, and there's a difference between easy decisions and hard things to do. Right. Which this might have been, meaning it's an easy decision. You drop Kanye immediately. Right. And then it might be hard in terms of unwinding legal agreements and all that stuff. Do that later. Come out immediately and say, we are dropping him. And then figure out the best way to do it later. You can't keep him around. This is an easy one to decide, maybe a hard thing to do, but make that decision quickly and make it public. I love that. It's, it's just doing the right thing and, uh, and doing the right thing for the right reasons. They did the right thing is what I'm hearing. Dropping. Content. Yeah, right. Uh, they didn't do it for the right reasons. Which... And they didn't do it well. Yeah. Right, so I think you can you can satisfy the the need for to be responsible to your business, which obviously Adidas has to do, but you can also satisfy the need for the people who care about your brand to know that what happened here is completely unacceptable, and we're coming out immediately to tell the world that. Then we default to okay, how are we going to sever ties? Because I know damn well we're severing ties. Yeah, brands are a lot like people. Uh, you know, they they are evaluated both by their highest moments and their lowest moments, and how they respond to those moments. Yeah, black mark on Adidas and their brand for not moving as quickly as they should have. Yeah, they should have done the right thing faster and better. Yep. All right, Kelly, we're back with Gary and his partner Sterling joining us from Mainline Brewery. Um, guys, this place is amazing. It's really beautiful. Is the spot is incredible. The land you have here, the beer is damn good. Tell us. Tell us about Mainline Brewery. Where'd y'all come from? How did this idea happen? Why'd you decide to build Mainline Brewery? 
basically this outdoor space drove the whole decision. We wanted to find a way to utilize this. We wanted it to be dog friendly, kid friendly, music friendly. We like to drink cold beer and listen to live music. And oh, so you did it for yourselves. We did it for ourselves. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, when we, we opened Cirrus about 10 years ago, and this was just a parking lot, and um, we kept thinking, what could we do with it? So we said, well, why don't we open a brewery? We saw the success of Hardywood, it's right up the street. And, yeah. and then our friends, as I was telling Kelly earlier, said, well, you know, Richmond doesn't really need another brewery. We got plenty. I said, it's not a brewery, it's a venue. So the first thing we did was build that big stage up there. And, um, and Richmond just has a ton of musicians, good musicians. And uh, uh, so we just combined Matt, the you're two. one of them. We tried. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was a pretty easy choice to do. I mean, COVID didn't help. That's when we opened it. But uh, we got through that, and, and uh, it's, been, it's been fun ever since. We're getting ready to open uh, down there on the other part of the property uh, a rum company called Urban Rum Company, which will have everything from dark and stormies to pina coladas. And we, we, we want a reason for them to stay here. And, of course, we always have food trucks. Um, because these shows are three hours long, so we, yeah. you know we want to, you know, have the ability to keep them here. We get games for kids, and um, and if we catch a pretty day like today, it's it's fun to be down here. So you've got rum, you've got vodka, you've got beer, and you've got music. It sounds like both my best nights and a couple of my worst nights. <laughs> and that you and I went into the wrong business. We did go into the wrong business. And after we get the rum over, we're going to try to do the wine down here. Oh man, it's, it's incredible. That is really cool. So tell us, now that we're on the Beer and Brands podcast, tell us about Mainline Brewery as a brand. How do you guys want the people of Richmond to think about Mainline? Like what, where, what space do you occupy in the pantheon of breweries in Richmond? You mentioned Sterling, there are a lot of them. How is Mainline different? Well, so for us, it's all about the venue. Yeah. We make really good beer and we're very proud of it, but we don't distribute. You can't buy cans to go. You come here, you listen to music, you drink here, and that's it. So it's really about selling the venue. We, and we try to have a wider variety than most. And um, it goes everything from the seltzers, which our kids made us do, which, you know, we didn't even know what they were when we were doing this. <laughs> but it, they've become a huge seller for us. And all the way into a, a 9% IPA, AC IPA, and yeah. plenty of stuff in between, Yeah, which is where I find myself because we, we're here a lot and you have to drink a lot when you're here. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the perks of the job, right? That's awesome. Well, the place is amazing. Where can folks find Mainline Brewery? Where are you? Let them know how to find you. So we're on Owen B. Lane, right off of Hermitage Road near the uh, Diamond, yep. and right down the street from Hardywood Brewery in Castleburg. And they're now naming this whole area Brewery Row because there's three of us on the same street, I guess. It's pretty good. Come awesome. on out. You'll have a good time. No kidding. Well, Sterling, Gary, thank you so much for having us here. The place is amazing. Well, Come on out to Mainline. Thank Thanks for coming. And uh, cheers, Kelly. Cheers. That wraps up another edition of Beer and Brands. So thanks to everybody for joining us. Um, as always, for Kelly O'Keefe, I'm Matt Williams from Brand Federation. Tune in for another edition of Beer and Brands soon. Uh, we'd love to know what you think. Put your comments in the, in the, in the box below. Let us know your thoughts about, about human resources, branding, 
uh, Mainline Brewery. They're all going to be thumbs up, guys, I promise. Um, and if and there's a topic you want us to cover, let us know that exactly. too. Exactly. So we will see you next time on Beer and Brands.